here and watch you enter. Well, it it comes in waves. Remember, breathing. Yeah, to use this music, I have to I have to say the name of the band, and it, it, this is this is danger, and it comes in waves. Nice, I like it. Happy Thursday update. It's three o'clock somewhere. That somewhere is Phoenix, Arizona, and that's where we find Adam. I, of course, am in Cleveland, Ohio which is where you go after Mexico to quarantine. Yes, welcome back. Thank you. You successfully I, uh, made got it. got rid of the green screen. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lot of people jealous. It doesn't appear <laughs> of me being in Cleveland. So I feel pretty comfortable just letting the Airbnb show. All right. So today we got some, some topics to talk about. Um, of course, we are going to uh, have John's Medical Corner, which has become extremely popular um, in the show. We also have a guest. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the rise in litigation against businesses. Um, we are going to talk a little bit about the Supreme Court if we have time. And I mean, that should be a show. All right, I know what you guys want, money. So we're going to talk about the second stimulus as well. With all that said, how are you doing, Adam? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm gonna, just, what's up? I said I just got my trial move back. So, you know, my weekend's going to be a lot more relaxing than it otherwise would have been. Was this going to be in person, a real trial? Yeah. yeah, the judge wanted it in person. So you talked through about how you're going to wear masks and approach witnesses and all that, or that never quite get to the. Well, and, and I asked if it was going to be closed to the public because there were some other people that wanted to attend. And so it was closed to the public. And then there were some people that wanted to participate by zoom because they didn't, you know, they were afraid of appearing in court. So we had witnesses that didn't want to be there. So we were talking, do we do telephone? Do we do zoom? Do we do, you know, video conference? Um, and I think the judge just kind of threw up her hands and said, this is kind of a mess. Why don't we push this back? I said, all right. Well, all right. So COVID has gotten another victim, which is your trial. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we've got a whole bunch of crazy things happening, which we'll, which we'll, we'll touch on maybe if we have time. But, you know, in Maricopa County, we have uh, new procedures for trials. And we have a new arbitration program for civil cases up to $300,000. So a lot of stuff happening in the lawyer world. We're just not used to this. Um, nobody cares about lawyers. They do care about schools. So we'll talk about that. But we'll start where we always start, which is, of course, with sports. Um, big news in the sports world for uh, the Cleveland people. Miles Garrett got a $125 million contract, making him the highest paid player in defensive history, I got an Airbnb in Cleveland. So we've all gotten things in Cleveland <laughs> this week. Um, also, and kind of more importantly, the Washingtons are not the Redskins anymore. You probably picked up on that. And uh, the big news uh, is now shifted on to Martin McCauley. Do you know who Martin McCauley is? I don't. So Martin McCauley uh, has a hobby he likes, he likes to trademark names that could be the future name of the Washington Redskins. 
he has 44 different trademark applications naming Washington. Um, one's the Washington Red Wolves. He just added that last week. Washington Red Tails, the Monuments, the Veterans, the Americans, the Braves. It's not going to be the Braves. Martin, you, you didn't need to register that one. He's also got the Freedom Fighters. Um, so I thought this would be a good opportunity to talk about trademarks. See how I snuck that into the sports section? <laughs> there is nothing more engaging than trademark talk. Well, what's interesting about it is, you know, Macaulay bought 100 coffee mugs and put them up on sale because you need to use it in commerce, right? Mm -hmm. And now lawyers know all this stuff, but I figured we'd let the people know. Um, so, you know, a trademark is like a, a word or a design or a combination that identifies uh, services. We call them logos, right? Like you see a logo and that trademark um, doesn't require a federal registration, but there's a lot of advantages to it. The biggest is that you get this public notice and a presumption that it's valid. And so, um, you know, merely um, having the registration is a very powerful tool. Um, eventually this stuff could go to court um, and just because you have it registered doesn't mean that you um, actually own it. It's just a good thing to do. So here, here's how you do it, okay? So you, you are going to do a search and then you must be intending or actually using the mark. It can't just be a concept. It can be a concept initially, but you're gonna need to use it. There's different trademark classes. So for example, if you're selling pizza, under uh, the name Ford Focus, that doesn't preclude a car from being called the Ford Focus. So we have different kind of groups. Um, then you need to submit your mark. You send this to DC um, through Adam Buck or a lawyer at Radix, but we submit this stuff to the Patent and Trademark Office. And then once it is used in commerce, we send what we call a specimen, which again, makes it sound like doctors. It's not really, it's just a copy of the logo or how you're using it, say, on a can or on a sign. Um, it's then uh, reviewed by the USPTO. It's published. And then there's a 30-day period for objections. And then finally, you get your certificate of registration or your notice of allowance. So the notice of allowance, um, you know, you get 12 weeks from the publication date um, to get that notice of allowance. Then the following six months, you have to actually submit a specimen that you'd used it. And you get 10 years. But you knew all that. It is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm turning it over to Adam Buck. Adam, talk to us a little about litigation in the in the world of, of COVID. All right, let me. Share my screen here. All right, so we're gonna talk about some litigation. COVID-19, so we are seeing a rise in litigation. More than 2,000 lawsuits relating to COVID-19 have been filed. Um, as far as the numbers I saw were through mid-June, so it's probably higher, but uh, they are on the rise. So we're going to talk about a few categories that are on the rise. Uh, paid leave lawsuits. So we know that the Family First Coronavirus Response Act gave everybody uh, two weeks of paid sick leave, an additional 10 weeks of leave for eligible employees um, for school, childcare, and closures due to COVID-19. So that was given, but now we're seeing claims that the employees were denied leave to which they were entitled. 
and uh, or they were fired or they were retaliated against for using it. So how do you protect your business? Well, you got to review your business policies and make sure your leave programs um, and what's being done in your business coincides with the various uh, federal, state, and local requirements. We're also seeing more discrimination lawsuits, um, particularly to age discrimination and pregnancy. Uh, the employer, you have to allow your older employees or pregnant employees to return to work if they want to. Um, and so, and here's the thing is, even if you think it's in their best interest not to, uh, that doesn't really solve your problem um, if you're discriminating against them purely because of their age or their uh, pregnant. We're also seeing Americans with Disabilities Act uh, claims. So the reasonable accommodations to employees who have disabilities and are at high risk for severe illness from coronavirus. And so we've got employees with pre-existing health care conditions, wanting to have accommodations from their employer uh, to be able to stay home or work from home or do other things like that. So there is a lawsuit that I saw uh, in Florida that the, alleges the employer failed to provide FMLA leave for an immune compromised employee during COVID-19. So um, under FMLA, covered employers must provide employees job protected unpaid leave for certain things, specified family medical reasons. So the employee alleged he was terminated after inquiring about it and the employer didn't like it. And so now they're in court and we'll see what happens. So how do you protect yourself? When an employee asks for accommodation, just make sure, um, you know, do it timely consider it um, and all requests to work from home should be treated as a possible reasonable accommodation request under the ADA uh, and make sure that whatever requests come in from employees are given to the correct person. You certainly don't want a lower level employee making decisions off the cuff that, you know, ultimately are bad for the company. Um, and then document your rationale for whatever decisions you make. We're also seeing wage and hour lawsuits. So with more employees working from home, there's more in, uh, claims for unpaid wages and failure to pay overtime. So uh, you need to set the expectations with your employees on their timekeeping policies uh, and make sure they're properly documenting their work hours and work only when scheduled. I mean, that's the difference. When they're at home, you, you don't really have a lot of control over when they work or how much they work and to communicate the expectations to the employees uh, about obtaining prior approval for any overtime work. Uh, workers' compensation, so you've got in, infected employees or family members who um, claim that the employee died from the virus and that they contracted it while they were at work. So to help minimize the risk, you should implement cleaning safety policies and ensure that staff is trained properly. So these are sort of the things that are happening right now. Um, you know, obviously our goal is to have all of you open your businesses, but do it in a safe uh, manner that minimizes the risk that you have from litigation, uh, 
so your business is successful. So that is what I have. It was better than mine. Yeah. <laughs> so we just don't want to get sued. That's, you know, stay out of litigation is our, our recommendation to most of our clients. Yeah. It's just, it's just really complicated too, by the way. So, you know, no, nothing, by the way, this is called a segue. Nothing quite as, as, as complicated as the world of commercial real estate right now. I got, I got Darius Green here. So let me, let me give you the quick background. Um, not only is he kind of well-known commercial um, real estate broker, he also happens to be a lawyer. So he works with a lot of law firms and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and uh, kind of in, in a cool note, um, also is, uh, you know, on the Fiesta Bowl and is on the board for Boys and Girls Club. So we got like a lot of stuff to talk about. So Darius, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right. So, so talk to me about your day job. I want to hear a little bit about, about your normal pre-COVID life and now how it's changed as a result of all this um, fun. It's been very interesting. So I um, am uh, one of the founding partners with a firm called Kaiser, and we spend all of our time uh, focused on representing the tenant or the buyer in commercial real estate and helping them uh, with their real estate strategy. And so we've literally spent the last few months since the uh, stay-at-home orders uh, really helping tenants um, navigate, uh, you know, these, these unforeseen waters and uh, unprecedented times. So doing a lot of, um, you know, rent, rent, rent negotiations, whether it's a deferment or, you know, working with the landlord to help them make it through this tough time. Um, so obviously, just like us, you're seeing a lot of of tenants looking to kind of stay in space, a lot of flexibility from landlords. Um, I don't know what your experience has been, but it seems like the big, the big boy tenants are getting the better deals somehow. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, and, and, and some landlords are, are more flexible than the others. We've seen that the, it's typically the, the larger REIT type of, uh, of landlords are a little more stringent uh, on what they're willing to do for tenants. But you know we're all in this together. They have they have their stresses with their lenders and banking relationships, and capital partners, and obviously their stressors on the tenants as well. So uh, you know, big topic now that we we have a lot of spread. You know, is what happens in the workplace. And so you guys like Radix have had cases at Kaiser. So talk to us a little bit about what you do over there. What, what do you guys do if somebody has COVID? Well, you know, our offices are officially shut down for the time being, you know, there's no uh, scheduled reopening, but, you know, we had to sanitize the, the whole office once we had uh, one of our members uh, get COVID that had spent some time in the space. And, you know, we were officially shut down, but a lot of our agents are, or all of our agents are independent contractors and, you know, kind of run their own business. And so, we left it up to them if they wanted to go into the office and spend some time getting some work done there. Not everybody has a great um, work from home environment and some chose to go in and it just so happened that one of the people that was in the office ended up getting COVID. And, and uh, so then we just shut it down for everybody uh, and uh, had to 
you know, sanitize the place. And, and we haven't, um, we haven't uh, formed a schedule as to when we would reopen. So you, uh, you have uh, cool extracurriculars, as I announced at the beginning. So I'm gonna let you, you pick, obviously, um, we, we are interested to hear about, especially with, with Boys and Girls Club, I'm still letting you choose um, how you yeah. guys have been adapting. But, but, but go ahead and talk about some of the other things that you're up to and how you've adjusted. Yeah, absolutely. So the Boys and Girls Club of the Valley um, was designated an essential, essential business uh, from, from the start. So they've been open during this whole time and, um, you know, one of the things that's been challenging that is, is on the horizon is that a lot of the schools, if not most of them, are going to be reopening, but they're going to be reopening online. And the Boys and Girls Club, you know, right now serves 16,000 kids. Uh, and, you know, the normal model was after school, right? So they, they get a snack after school, they have their activities. You know, the focus of the Boys and Girls Club is academic success, character and leadership, you know, healthy lifestyle and, you know, uh, career pathways, workforce development. So those are all the things that they're doing while they're in the clubs. And then they get a hot meal before they're picked up by their parents in the evening. But now parents need a place to take their kids if they're going to be working from home uh, during the school year, like a lot of parents are going to be. So that's going to be a drain on the resources because they're going to have to essentially double the, the amount of time that they're open. They're going to have to double the staff. And, uh, and so we're actually having a, a drive starting next month. It's called whatever it takes campaign to raise more money. Um, it's going to be featured on the Arizona midday program, which is on uh, channel 12 NBC and uh, it's presented by fries and it's a 40 day campaign. Um, there are advertising opportunities here for small businesses, businesses of all sizes that are traditional advertisers to help raise money for the Boys and Girls Club of the Valley. And for those that didn't know, the Boys and Girls Club of the Valley um, prior to this year was called the Boys and Girls Club of Metro Phoenix, but they just merged with the Boys and Girls Club of the East Valley. So now it's 27 clubs merged together as one club now called the Boys and Girls Club of the Valley making a tremendous impact on the Valley, you know, coordinating 20 contingency plans with 20 different school districts to be open uh, for this uh, upcoming school year. So we, we do need your help. Uh, and, you know, you're attaching the name of your small business with a major nonprofit. Uh, and so win-win situation. And there are also opportunities for those that aren't traditional advertisers that, uh, you know, John can get you my, my contact information. I'm happy to talk more about that offline. And then one little plug for the Fiesta Bowl, if you don't mind, John. Yeah, I, I will tell you, everybody who is watching this on YouTube or podcast, uh, your contact information is right there. So okay, go ahead and awesome. Talk. But but yeah, let, let's talk about football. Talk about the Fiesta yeah. Bowl. Yeah, so Fiesta Bowl, uh, exciting year. This is actually our 50th anniversary year we're celebrating as a bowl. And one of the reasons that I'm actually really passionate about the Fiesta Bowl is that the Fiesta Bowl is a, you know, I like to call it, it's the nonprofit for nonprofits. 
we all the funds that we raise, we give away to Arizona nonprofits, and we've given away over $16 million in the past nine years alone. We gave away $4 million to Arizona nonprofits last year, and uh, we're looking to have another big year. Hopefully, we have some football to play, uh, even if it's – I know some conferences are doing a limited schedule, uh, but uh, – and, and, you know, I know I'm – personally sports starved uh and i don't even watch a whole lot of sports but i like to watch highlights and there haven't been any real highlights to watch John. so i'm looking forward to some college football highlights hopefully well um we are too and just so you know you've already gotten a thousand dollar donation bank president uh rob schwister of alaris bank has a thousand bucks coming your guys way to support it um and that, that is, is why awesome. we have that's why we have a chat feature well, thank you, thank you, John. <laughs> so we appreciate we appreciate you you, you being on. We are um, uh, definitely uh, looking forward to helping some kids. I am now going to talk medical stuff, and so we're going to let Darius avoid this. But thanks for coming on. We really do appreciate it. So, uh, John's medical corner. I got two things to talk about. I got one that's like the, the CNN story of the day. I don't know if you've seen this, but, you know, they're, they're really playing up today whether blood types have an impact mm. on COVID. Have you kind of seen that story? Yeah, I have. I haven't, have they made a definitive connection or no? No, but we got ourselves into the New England Journal of Medicine. So before we start, like, putting this into the cuckoo department, there, it does appear to be enough science to at least make it into a top medical journal. Turns out people with blood type A have a 45% increased risk of contracting coronavirus and people with blood type O have a 35% lower risk of developing severe illness. Now here's the theory that backs up something that sounds like nonsense, okay? So the, the, the theory is that there are, uh, for example, O, or I'm sorry, B, type B blood uh, has less of a chance to develop cancer. Now this doesn't mean just because you have type B blood like I do that I won't get cancer mostly because I just said it, I probably will. Um, but the, the, the bottom line is that the structure of that blood type has some impact on the way that it's affected by various diseases. This particular disease, we are seeing that there's a lot of clotting and uh, this clotting is leading to severe problems and a lot of the autopsies are coming back showing that people had severe clots. And so it may be the case that uh, that blood type does have an impact. There's also um, a, a study that came out maybe 15 minutes ago from Massachusetts General Hospital, which is a real hospital, by the way. It's an important hospital in, in Boston. And they said, um, we've taken a look at this and there's no association. So um, Mass General says no, a big study says yes, but just something interesting to kind of pay attention to. Um, because as I heard people talking about it, I thought, I thought that it was complete nonsense, right? Because it sounds like nonsense. Well, it does, but I think we're all just kind of looking for some rational understanding of who's affected and why. Because I, I think it's very confusing why some people are so severely affected and some aren't. And I think it's just natural to try to figure out there's got to be some explanation. So I... Um... I don't know the answer. I'm just reporting the news. But here's the one that actually people are caring about, which has to do with the reopening of schools. Um, according to White House uh, Press Secretary, science is on the side of opening schools. 
it might be true. <laughs> it's hard to know. That's why that turns out it might be true. So um, there was a a, uh, a series of studies, and in the pediatric in the journal called Pediatrics, which is a peer reviewed journal, um, the University of Vermont docs say that kids are actually very low transmitters of of the of COVID. Um, they looked at a number of different studies, including one. Um, in, uh, out of the University of Geneva, where they looked at Swiss children that showed about 8% show, um, resulted in adults in the family getting the virus. In other words, if a kid had the sickness, they weren't really transmitting it. Um, also in uh, China, it turns out that of 68 children that were admitted uh, basically in February of this year, 96% um, almost certainly caught it from their parents, not from another child. Um, and uh, there was a uh, study in New South Wales, another one in um, France. And the one that was in France was actually really pretty interesting because they looked at high school kids. And high school kids, they had uh, three teachers, I guess, that ended up in the um, emergency room. And those, uh, you know, uh, those people who ended up in the emergency room kind of triggered this study. And it turned out that between 45 and 60% of the students and the teachers actually had, had it um, in France. And this is, in, this is, you know, in February, this is kind of at the beginning. Um, and then they did a large scale study of elementary school students. And it turns out the elementary school students really didn't transmit it at all. And so there you go. There's John's medical corner on something that I really was a bit surprised and maybe We'll be optimistic. Uh, the American people have announced we'll do a large-scale study called "Opening Up the Schools." Damn, be the consequences coming our way in the next few weeks. So, so if we can only get the kids to teach themselves, so you take the adult teachers out of the equation. Well, they're not transmitting it to the adults. That's the point. Oh, they're not. Yeah. Oh. So, so the yeah. transmission rate through the kids is very, very low. Um, yeah. And so while they may have it and may have very mild symptoms, we just think in our head, like kids give you disease. <laughs> that is like, you know, just something we're used to. It turns out maybe kids, kids aren't. Um, I'm going to run over for a minute because I do want to talk about the stimulus. Um, so we have stimulus 2.0. Um, it's going to be announced next week. Here's what we know about it. Um, Mitch McConnell says it'll be a trillion dollars. Goldman Sachs says it'll be a trillion five. I love that. I love how Goldman Sachs like tells you how much it's going to be. Goldman Sachs says it's a trillion five. Mitch McConnell says a trillion. So some real money coming out. Um, we know that almost for sure there will be a second stimulus check. Um, it is unclear how much that will be. Um, the uh, stimulus check, according to Mitch McConnell, might be for people who earn up to four earn up to $40,000 a year. Um, it's possible it will be $75,000 a year, but that second stimulus check will be less. Um, there's a proposal from uh, the travel people that's been backed up by Senator um, Martha McSally to give $4,000 to encourage people to travel. I love that idea. It's <laughs> never gonna happen. <laughs> so put that on your list of things that you can't count on in order to um, travel. Um, there will be some employment um, benefits. That $600 a week is going to go away. That extra $600. 
because it's creating too much of a disincentive for people to come back. Um, there is that's some at the end of the month, right? Yeah, but the 2.0 will have an amount. It looks like it might be $450 a week. Um, so that's still pretty significant. That still means that people who aren't working will be looking at about $15 an hour-ish in unemployment benefits. Um, so hopefully that'll be helpful to people and won't cause this problem that we see, which is people can't be bothered to work, you know, because they're getting so much more rationally from, from unemployment. And there's almost certainly going to be some liability protection for businesses. Um, the most important thing is there's going to be a bunch of money that goes to states and localities. They are dying. I mean, the amount of money that is being paid out by states and localities in order to do all this additional stuff has been really intense and added on top of that. Of course, we had a lot of protests. So that's kind of the 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 update. Um, I got a quick question for you, Adam, which yeah. is, is the employee requesting paid leave required to use accrued PTO? James Kahn asked that. Well, I know that they, it's whatever <laughs> they already have, they get the additional on top of that. So I don't know in what order, if it matters, but it's, they get that in addition to whatever they they have the additional paid time off. Yeah, the the additional pay goes first. You want to use that as an employer, by the way, and the reason for that is because you get tax credits. So, um, oh. you know that. So, if somebody has COVID or needs to stay home with kids and they're being paid, you get a tax credit. Um, so, make sure that uh, you understand how that works. We can talk about it again or consult with us privately. Um, Supreme Court poll. You ready? Turns out, according to um, five thirty eight which is a website that did a poll that most of the decisions of the Supreme Court lined up with people's opinions. We decided to ask everybody's opinions today. Um, do you believe that firing employees based on their sexual orientation should be legal or illegal? 95% of our people think that it should be illegal and it is now. So you cannot fire somebody based on their sexual orientation. States should or should not be allowed to ban students from using taxpayer subsidized scholarships to attend religious school, 84% um, said should not. So that was interesting, I thought. Um, employers should or should not be required to cover contraceptives in their health insurance plans. 58% said they should be required to. They are now no longer required to. DACA, DACA, which pr protects undocumented immigrants who lived in the U.S. since childhood from deportation should remain or be ended. 84% said it should remain. Supreme Court said it should remain. Um, the the uh, executive branch, the president needs to file certain procedures if he, if he wants to end it. Requiring abortion providers to have main privileges in nearby hospital does or does not violate abortion seekers' constitutional rights. 63% says it does not violate the abortion seekers constitutional rights. The Supreme Court said it does. Um, John Roberts uh, held based on stare decisis that the ruling in a case from just two years ago should remain. New York state prosecutors have or do not have the right to obtain a president's tax records. 68% said they have the right. The Supreme Court agrees with you. So I thought those were pretty interesting kind of poll results. Turns out we might be trending a little bit more liberal now. <laughs> we used to just hit, we used to hit the exact national average on our polls, but uh, it looks like we are, we're there. Anything else from you, Adam? 
No, nothing for me. I'm going to have a relaxing weekend with no trial on Monday, so I'm pretty happy about that. Well, congratulations. I am proud of you for putting off work for another day. Justice <laughs> deferred and, uh, and for, for Adam. Thanks, everybody, for watching. I'll kind of do the plug. Um, I've got a bonus plug. Um, if you want to hear me talk with my kids about the Phoenix Suns restart, there's a podcast for it. It's Father and Sons. S-U-N-S. So you can listen to that. Um, also, we'll be back, as always, every Thursday, talking about stuff that's impacting small businesses. Um, you can find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash Law. You don't want to see our face and just want to get to work, go ahead and go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find us there. For Small Business Update, it's me from Cleveland. I'll be here again next week, and we'll leave Adam in charge of Arizona. Take care.